My journey's not by mistake. Um, every hard thing that I've gone through has built something in me that I've needed down the road. And even though it sucks in the moment to not be picked or to get hurt or whatever it might be, um, the hard stuff builds stuff in you that's necessary for life and you'll be using it down the road. It may not feel like that in the moment. Um, but for me, you know, <clears throat> it's not really about proving other people wrong. It's proving myself right. The words of one Rebecca Lynn Hammond, better known to basketball fans as Becky. She's the head coach of your 2022 WNBA champions. Hello, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb, and this is the Transporter Room, the intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi fiction, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And if you were here last week, we did a great show with two Mavericks who did it their way all the way. Leo Baker and Molly Cameron. We opened this week's podcast by celebrating another Maverick who did it her way and got an entire team in the city along for a championship ride. The WNBA Finals ending Sunday with the Las Vegas Aces downing the Connecticut Sun 78-71 in Game 4 and clinching their first WNBA title after being swept at the Wubble in 2020 in the Finals and upset last year in the semifinals to the Phoenix Mercury. The Aces were paced by the play of Chelsea Gray. The WNBA Finals MVP had 20 points, and Rakuna Williams added 17, including some clutch shooting in the final three minutes as the Aces shut the door on the sun. Now, after the game, Aja Wilson and Becky Hammond had a couple things to say. You've carried this weight of being so young and yeah. leading this franchise with grace. How have you done that? Man, my teammates. My teammates put me in a situation where I can be the best that I can be and I can lean on them through thick and thin. Uh, I don't, I'm not who I am without them. I wouldn't be who I am without them. So that's pretty much it. I, I, they've helped me in many ways that they probably don't even know. Uh, I, I have my bad days and I come into the gym and I see my teammates and my mood shifts because I know I have to be there for them. I will put anything on the line for my teammates and I don't care what they say and how they say it. I'm going to be there for them. And I hope they know that it's, it's a forever thing. It's not just because we're playing together now. It's years to come. So Without them, I, I, the weight would just continue to be on me. But when I get around my teammates, that weight is lifted, and I don't feel any pressure because they allow me to be me. So I'm grateful to be a part of a franchise, to have teammates that are so open and caring for me. Uh, you know, I said it out there, but probably the, the biggest thing I'm proud of is just how they've come together over the course of the past five, six months um, to really become a team. And you saw different people step up at different moments tonight, and that's what makes us difficult to beat. You know, Take the word encourage, which actually means to give courage to another person. That's what I've tried to speak into them every day. It's how much I believed in them um, and that we could be special if we all do it together. You know, because they've all kind of been on their own little journeys. They, we, we've all, and yet we, we land here on the same road uh, with the same destination. And um, it's just been a pleasure uh, for me to coach them. And I look forward to uh, building building on it. For Hammond, this is a beautiful climax in what has been a gritty superhero story of sorts. Hammond comes from Rapid City, South Dakota, where she was a lightly recruited high school basketball standout. Uh, I don't know. White girl in the sticks with a basketball, too small, too slow. Then 
Somebody at Colorado State disagreed. Three-time All-American as a Colorado State Ram, but still the WNB said, ah, too small, too slow, not drafting you. Didn't matter. She fought her way onto the New York Liberty in 1999 and ended up playing 15 years with the Liberty and the San Antonio Shooting Stars, now known as the Las Vegas Aces. After her playing career ended, she became an assistant coach with Greg Popovich with the San Antonio Spurs and was there for seven years and some of the best players in basketball. And I'm talking like the Manu Ginobili's and the Paul Gasol's swore by her coaching and her tutelage. So much to the point that in the last couple of years, when there were shortlists for NBA head coaching jobs, Becky Hammond was on that list, but she was never selected. She turned down a few WNBA offers here and there, but she took the Las Vegas Aces offer this year. And now, in her first year as a coach, she's a champion. And this could be just the beginning. You see, Las Vegas owner Mark Davis has shown that he's committed to success in the W on the court and off. So this could be the beginning of a feast of championships in Sin City. So I say, let's make a Carly Webb rule right here, right now. Let's not speculate on Becky Hammond as an NBA head coach. Not right now. Let's not belittle this accomplishment and the other accomplishments that could be coming in the future. Or as noted friend of the podcast and excellent journalist Frankie De La Creda says, what if we stop positioning the NBA as the goal and the WNBA as the step down? They got it right on this one. Frankie, I couldn't agree with you more. On the other side, Kurt Miller and the Connecticut Sun. For the fourth time in franchise history and for the second time in the last three years, they fall short in the WNBA Finals and maintain a dubious distinction. The Sun are the franchise with the most playoff wins without a championship. Nonetheless, Miller continues to break new ground as the only out gay man coaching a top-level professional team in sports. And after the game, here was his view on a season where, at one point, the Sun looked out of it but always fought their way back in it. Remember, every do-or-die game during these playoffs, they won until this past Sunday. Hi, Kurt. Um, this was the fifth elimination game in the postseason tonight. Just what have you seen from your group in the locker room and in practice throughout the playoffs and how they've been able to um, respond to, to these situations? Yeah, it's their mental toughness. Um, again, this group thrives when people tell them they can't do something. Um, and, you know, they, they left it all out there. You know, we, we, miss, we miss some shots. Uh, we missed some reads. They made some great shots, but their mental toughness, you know, they never wavered that they could do this, and they didn't listen to all the people that said they couldn't. Looking through the pages of Outsports right now, thumbs up to the Boston Marathon and the London Marathon. Late last week, both announced that they will offer non-binary divisions, starting with their 2023 races. Alex Rimmer had an excellent story on this. Among those who are part of the story, Jake Fedorowski, who wrote the definitive guide on how race directors can best implement non-binary divisions, and some quotes from Zachary Harris, who won the inaugural non-binary division of the New York Marathon last year. So check the story out. 
instant Carly opinion. This is a good idea. As a runner and as an athlete, I am for this. Long-term, sport needs to start moving in this direction. The fact is, non-binary people are real, they are valid, and some may want to play a sport. And the current binary setup of sports is just not sustainable for that. As Harris said in an article in Outsports last year, it's a pain point for most people. It's a pain point for most people. In some strange way, I've had to swallow it to make the decisions all the time to do the sport that I love. I think the best analogy is just constantly getting pricked with a needle. That's what it is every time. Well, Zachary, you're no longer getting pricked with that needle at these major races. And hopefully some smaller scale events are starting to follow suit as well. Now, other sports have called for variations of this. That missed the mark in my view. Textbook case, FINA, World Governing Body for Swimming. Right after they said that trans women can't compete as women, they said, we're going to look into an open category, which will basically be cisgender men plus others. That is not a call to equity. That is a means to mask your transphobia. There are going to be people who say, non-binary division, great, just throw all the trans and everybody else into that division problem solved. No. All you're doing is stop putting pain on one group and shift the pain to another group. That prick with the needle Zachary Harris talked about, you're transferring that prick from them to others who may identify in the binary, like myself. If a transgender man identifies as such and the rules have already been put in place to do so, why can't that trans man compete with cis men? And yes, the rules in most sports already allow for this. It's really nothing new. Or if a trans woman like myself, for example, meets all the criteria to compete with cisgender women, which, which 99.9% .9 of us do, why shouldn't we be allowed to compete in the binary if we identify as such? Elsewhere in Outsports, Jim Budzinski had a really good coming out story on Scottish pro soccer player Xander Murray. Now, Murray is a player for the Gallifrey Dean Rovers in the Lowland League. The Lowland League is not quite the premiership. It's a couple levels down, but still, it's the pro game. And Murray last week came out and said, I'm gay, I'm in the game, and I'm here to stay. He said the reason to do it was twofold. First, while they were on a vacation, they went to a Pride event, and in the past, he said, quote, I've always been closeted and I never go to these things, but I loved it. The vibe was brilliant and everyone was just being free and happy. and It was just great to be me. And now I want to help other players who are struggling with this, as it isn't easy for men, especially footballers, to deal with. Xander Murray, I'm going to be rooting for you. You're part of the Carly 11 now, so keep putting that ball in the back of the net and keep playing hard. Also, Ken Schultz had the story on President Biden's meeting with Brittany Griner's wife last Friday. President Biden met with Griner's wife, Shrell, in the White House. It was the first in-person meeting since Griner, the eight-time WNBA All-Star Center for the Phoenix Mercury, was arrested at Moscow's Shermetyevo Airport in February for possession of a hash cartridge. Two months ago, she was sentenced to a prison term. 
She's now been in captivity in Russia for 216 days. The Biden administration maintained, according to the article, that the United States is working through all available channels to secure Brittany Griner's release. If you want to know more, check the article out. Away from outsports, something I want to call a lot of attention to. As we're heading into this very critical campaign season in 2022, a lot of things are being done at the state level to legalize discrimination. And once again, another state is joining the line. This time it's the state of Virginia. Governor Glenn Youngkin's administration has proposed new policies for the state schools regarding to how transgender students are treated in those schools, including restricting which bathrooms they can use and which program pronouns they're allowed to go by. The Virginia Department of Education released the, its 2022 model policies online last Friday, and effectively it rolled back all the forward-thinking policies of Yunkin's predecessor. The new rules will go into effect in 30 days pending a review process. But check out what these rules will entail. The revamped rules will state explicitly that students now must use only the bathrooms and locker rooms associated with the sex assigned to them at birth. If a student wants to participate in a sport or other extracurricular activities, they must again only participate on teams that align with the sex assigned at birth. And further, the legal name and sex of a student can't be changed even upon written instruction of a parent or eligible student without an official legal document or court order. And teachers and other school officials can only refer to a student by their pronouns associated with their sex at birth, and they don't have to refer to a student's preferred names regardless of paperwork if they feel doing so would, quote, violate constitutionally protected rights. Now, where have we heard this before? <sighs> Transporter Room Nation, especially the sports fans among us. We've got to speak out about this one. On one hand, this is shocking and saddening, but on the other hand, it's not surprising. We've seen a lot of this before. And we're going to see it in more and more states. In fact, the Aaron Reed map. Aaron Reed, noted, noted content creator, journalist, and trans activist, has been putting together a map that shows the risk of anti-trans legislation right now and going forward. And it seems like more and more states are turning red. The more red the state is, the higher the risk is for trans people to be there in regards to legislation. The real thing that sticks in my craw about this it's the fact that they're bringing back the bathroom panic. It's archaic, it's cruel, and it's ridiculous. In fact, we even did a PSA on it. Check it out. Okay, this is for all the cisgender people out there. Cisgender people, huddle up, huddle up. I'm talking to you. Look, we of the transgender community would really like it if we quit speculating on people's genitalia. Not only is it rude, it's really kind of creepy. I even wrote a song about it. Want to hear it? Hear it? Go. They're creepy and they're kooky, they're right-wing and they're spooky, discussing bits is ooky, just stay away from me. Come on, sis folks, get it together, please.
Can we get a little moment for some good news? We can, we will, and the good news comes from across the Atlantic. Verity Carl Smith and his lead Rhinos wheelchair rugby team are killing it. First, winning the Super Cup competition during the season, then winning the wheelchair Super League table. And now they're one step away from their second straight treble. In the grand final playoff semifinals, they downed the London Roosters last Saturday, 54-14. Their next stop, the grand final on October the 1st, they'll take on the Halifax Panthers, who also put up a big number in their semifinal, defeating the Wigan Warriors 66-28. Now here's what Verity had to say on the possibility of a second straight treble last month here in the transporter room and what just being in the game has meant to him. I think for us, it's definitely working as a team together. We've knitted as a team. A lot of our players have been together for a very long time. I've been there coming up four years now, but I had two seasons out during surgery. And at the moment, we're just wanting to do it for each and every one of us. We just want to be out there and, and play that. And I think it's great as well, having a mixed spot and being out there for everybody. It's inclusive no matter what. And I remember four years ago, even though the job that I do, I sent an email saying, I'm trans, am I allowed to play? And they just told me to get myself down there and just be part of the team with everybody else. And they've been so brilliant through my transition, through my top surgery, just through everything. And you know what? Not, not one of us is any different from the other. We've all got our own ways that, and the reasons that we're there together. That match will be played October the 1st. We'll get you streaming web coverage information and put it in the liner notes. And that is the Red Alert Claxon. You know what that means. Time to take a break, give love to the sponsors. But when we come back, there was an article talking about the future of what sports and inclusion could look like, and it ruffled a few feathers. We're going to take a deep dive to separate the facts from the fiction. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And if you happen to peruse The Atlantic Magazine or The Atlantic Magazine online over the last few days, there was an article by Maggie Mertens, Seattle-based journalist who specializes in the intersections of sports, sex, gender, and society. It was an article that talks about that those school sports are typically sex-segregated, a new generation of kids isn't content to compete within traditional structures. Just by the title alone, it's an interesting read. And it was. In the article, she looked at a couple examples. One was a high school-age girl in New York State who wanted to play football for her school in the Bronx. The team itself was a no-cut, no-tryout team. If you can sign up and you want to play, you can play. And right after she signed up and went into play, she was told that she had to meet certain specific requirements in order to join the team because she was a girl trying to join a boy's sport. New York State has a set of sporting regulations regarding mixed-gender competition these were passed back in 1985. And that's a while ago if you're scoring at home. 
and the rules were developed in a sense to protect girls from harm during competitions. Now, it required that this particular young girl submit a record of past performances in physical education classes, had a doctor's physical documenting her medical history, assessments of her body type, what what her sexual development and maturity level is, according to the Tanner scale. I, I'm not sure what that totally has to do with someone's ability to hit the hole well, block somebody, or throw a good forward pass, but okay. And then she w had to go through a fitness test that included a one-mile run, sprints, push-ups, and curl-ups, and basically the president's physical fitness test, and then send the scores to a closed-door panel including the physical education staff, others administrators of the school's choosing, and a consulting physician. And then the panel would determine if you were strong enough, develop enough, and athletic enough to play a contact sport with boys. Even though the boys don't have to go through all this. If you're confused, so am I. We've got the article linked down at the bottom. This is something I think you need to read. Now, to make the long story short, with this particular young lady, this kid was told she was allowed to play, but she was so turned off by the hoop she had to go through that not only did she not play for the team, she ended up leaving the school. This goes into a lot of issues and a lot of experts were discussed. Mertens did a great deal of reporting here. And also, one of the cruxes of this article is that this Generation Z that's coming out right now they're not seeing sports. They're not seeing anything the same way, but they're also not seeing sport the same way. They're asking the question, why do we need to be segregated? Why must this continue? Why? And contrary to the belief of some, it's a fair question to ask. There was another example, a young man who plays field hockey. Now, in a lot of the world, Field hockey and men go together like PB&J, especially in Australasia. Those are hotbeds for field hockey. Also, Europe, hotbeds for field hockey, and men play this sport. Field hockey is a sport that men play in most of the world, just not so here in the United States. But this young boy plays and wanted to play for his school in upstate New York, and by Title IX was allowed to play. If there is not a Title IX dictates, if one sex or gender does not have a team available, you have the opportunity to you must have the opportunity to play for the other one. Based on the same regulations that were passed back in 1985, this young boy had to go through the same rules just to get on the team and was approved by the school's panel to play. Played freshman year, played sophomore year, but senior year, just days before the first game. He was told he wasn't allowed because the other teams that make up the league they played on voted not to allow it. Like I said, read the article. Now, the thing about this article, and it's very comprehensive, is not so much what it says. It's what people reported that it says, but don't. And I'm talking about a lot of people in the Twitter sphere and a lot of people in the transphobosphere that's out there, not just on Twitter, but in certain areas of media. There are certain people who are saying that this article calls for the end of the binary and 
men and women playing together and it means that men are going to dominate and we're worried about that even though these same men who talk about this stuff never have a kind word to say about women's sports any other time unless it's unless it's just trying to mask a lot of transphobia oh by the way this article had exactly one paragraph that talks about any issues regarding trans inclusion. And really, it was a paragraph that just tells what the current situation is. And I quote, as of this writing, 18 states have passed laws to ban trans girls and women from playing on certain school teams. Some laws ban trans boys and men from playing for certain teams as well. But right after that sentence comes the next sentence. That is the crux, the real crux of this article. But perhaps what's missing from most of that debate is the question over why there are rigidly segregated girls teams and boys teams at all. And to the panic mongers and the fear mongers who are trying to make this article something that's not, this article does not call for the end of the sports binary. Now, personally, my view, at some point, I see that the binary system that we have in sports right now may someday end. I don't know if you, I, or most people listening to this podcast will be around to see it. Because that's going to take a long-term societal shift in how we see sex and how we see gender and how sports plays into all that. And I don't see such a shift happening before the year 2100, to be very honest with you. What this article did talk about was the possibilities. The possibilities in regards to introducing more opportunities within a given sport. For example, what we talked about earlier in the podcast, non-binary divisions in running and endurance events, and possibly the shift to such things in other sports. It also looked at how we could create new opportunities. And to me, new opportunities also means we may have to look at how we arrange our games. We may have to create new games. I look at what Ultimate Frisbee's done in on matters of inclusion. I looked at what Quadball's doing. Quadball, oh, by the way, that's the artist formerly known as Quidditch. We may need new games. Remember, the sports that we revere right now, they've been around for 7,500 up to 150 years. We may need to rethink and revamp those sports for a new reality, and we may need new sports that fit the new reality as well. Also, this article is not pitting men against women. In fact, in sports in general, the one thing that's always been daft to me is the number of people that feel the need to pit men against women to prove a point that it doesn't. Too often, those who try and make this dichotomy, or make those who try, quite often, those who make this comparison really are saying two things. One, we don't want to give women societal respect. And number two, we're really not into equity. A textbook case is the number of times that you hear this. Well, XYZ, women's Olympian, gets beat by 200,000 high school boys. In effect, what you're saying is, once again, trans women aren't women, 
and cisgender women stink at sports. That's what, in many ways, this whole comparison is really about to people that are trying to get their, that are getting all, that are getting their feathers ruffled over this article actually talking about, let's look at all the possibilities. Now, to Maggie Mertens, good on you for thinking outside the box. It was needed and it was necessary. And I reached out to Mertens about this article to get her on the podcast. My offer still stands. You want to come on the you want to come on the transporter room and talk about this article? I'd love to have you on it because there's a lot of food for thought. And there's a lot of things people need to think about. To those seeking to use this article to spread transphobia, really? Stop it. Because this article really doesn't talk about trans people. This article is really talking about the changes that need to be made to make sports more inclusive for everyone. Because, like it or not, a new world is here and the changes are coming. But of course, there are those, there are certain those who are going to look at this article, and you've already gone on some social media, and some of the noted pundits who are really just capping for more transphobia have already tried to make the same arguments about how they're pro-Title IX and they're for women's sports, when the fact is, you have lifted your leg on women's sports every chance you get. And this is just another way you're trying to do it. And again, I say, stop it. You're being disingenuous. And you're just being cruel. And a perfect example, or rather, a perfect metaphor for what these people do and how they do it, happened during a college football game I was watching last weekend. It was number one, Georgia. You're defending national champions. They look stout to do it again, taking on South Carolina and Columbia. Now, after the first quarter of this game, South, all of the female athletes at the University of South Carolina gathered in one of the end zones. It was going to be part of some celebration of the 50th anniversary of Title IX. Actually, it looked really clumsy and really klutzy, and it should have been done a lot different. But they were lining this up as the Gamecocks offense is lining up for a play. It's fourth and nine. They're driving. They need this play. They want to go for it. But they had to wait for all, all the women who are athletes to exit the field before snapping the ball. And head coach Shane Beamer is livid because his mind is totally set on this fourth and nine play. And making sure his team is getting set and trying to move the ball and he is screaming toward the athletes, tell him, get out of the end zone, get out of the end zone in frustration. Now, some people looked at that and immediately said, Shane Beamer is some flavor of male chauvinist pork. This looks like a total snafu foobar situation. And it didn't need to be. This was just a perfect example of performing performative behavior badly. As Jalissa Harris, who's a soccer player at the University of South Carolina, she said it best. It's just if you want to honor female student athletes, then an actual effort needs to be put in doing that. Don't just do, do something to check a box. Jalissa, amen to that. Because 
This is an example of what the Strum und Krang about Title IX looks like when you're confusing motion for real action. This is a graphic real-life example of how the so-called defenders of Title IX try to use it to master bigotry. It just looks clumsy and it just looks bad. If you really want to honor the women who line up and fight for the glory of the Gamecocks, there are better ways you could do it. You could have done this at halftime. Or better yet, you can make sure that all their teams are funded to the highest level possible. You can make sure that opportunities are opened, and not just for athletes, but also in coaching and administration. You could build levels of encouragement, not just at the collegiate level, but also be a part of making sure that every high school in South Carolina, for example, is funding their girls' teams equitably alongside their boys' teams and make sure that there are continuing pipelines for, for little girls to get involved in youth athletics in every city, every town, every hamlet, from state line to state line. If you really want to do something for Title IX, be a part of that. And that just doesn't go for this one state. That goes for every place in the sporting landscape. In many ways, the clumsiness we saw in Columbia, South Carolina, mirrors much of what we've talked about throughout this podcast. Whether it's just giving a winning coach her due and their team her due, or looking at sport in new ways to make sure that everyone gets a chance to play. The matters of proper praise, respect, and acknowledgement. And some don't want to give it unless it's to ride down on someone else. Now, to Shane Beamer's credit, he apologized, but after further review, I don't think he needed to. He did nothing more than be a coach during a tight game having a human reaction. The bigger question is, why do something halfway? Be it a tribute or be it real paths to equity and inclusion? Why not expand equity and expand coverage? It goes double for the inclusion issue. Bring stakeholders to the table. As Jake Fedorowski was quoted in OutSports this week, it is so exciting for trans and non-binary communities. He talked of the new divisions that are being expanded in these major road races. But it's also exciting for the allies and the people who are looking for more inclusive spaces. The reality is, as the races start to do this work, they're going to start to realize all the places within their event that are being exclusionary. As an athlete, as a sports journalist, and as a sports fan, to me, that's what it's all about. Because every little step in the right direction and every little real action taken will make sport that much better and make our world that much better. But to do it, we may have to think outside the box and get away from those who want to keep us in one. And that's the transporter room for this week. And just to note, if there's something you want to see, someone you want to see, or something you want to say about what we're doing here, please leave a message at our Facebook page. Leave a message on our Twitter page. Leave a message at our Instagram page transporter room 10 forward remember 
everything I do here at the Transporter Room, I do for all of you, the people who support us. And that's the Transporter Room for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. Live long and prosper and steady as she goes. I'll catch you all next week.